yo it's another day uh uh quarantine slash uh social unrest in america um but slash the slash the i guess like i'm calling it the covid pression yeah (laughs) yeah uh but we're here with you uh who are we we are real sankara hours real sankara hours follow us at sankara hours on twitter and this is a free episode but if you want bonus content subscribe uh at patreon.com slash real sankara hours we get a lot we have a lot of cool bonus content theory reading interviews stuff like that um yeah we're gonna be well both peter and i are kind of uh (laughs) drained for today so we're we're gonna we're still gonna record this episode because we're committed to you listeners i'm adam hudson five follow me at uh, i'm adam hudson see i'm already messing up (laughs) (laughs) i'm adam hudson follow me at adam hudson five on twitter and this is peter m gunn follow me at m gunn peter um yeah i'm a little exhausted because i did a on my two days off i flew back to ohio and picked up my my dad got a new car and i've been wheelless for a couple years now and so i drove it back um yesterday um and wow yeah i mean it was a pretty long drive but it was it was pretty cool I listened to Sister Outsider, which I admittedly hadn't done. Um, you know, that was on me. But, um, you know, it was it's very good. People who were hung up about Audre Lorde should just should just read it because, I mean, she's pretty cool. And she's a, I mean, she's an amazing writer. But also, you know, as an Aquarius, I, I recognize <laughs> lots of Aquarian energy. Um <laughs> And, you know, the idea of just, like, defining someone for themselves and that making people mad. And I think I think it's funny that, um, you know, how she's sort of been co-opted, but by, you know, the, I guess, call it the intersectional HR class. I mean, I remember seeing her quote in some, like, Silicon Valley pitch deck. Um, <laughs> But, you know, she's also, like, from Granada, or or her parents are from Granada, and the last chapter is all about the U.S. invasion of Granada, so Mm. um, it's very, it's very good, very interesting. Um, Admittedly, I was doing it partly as research, um, because, uh, as we had, had alluded to last week, we wanted to, I guess, speak more to, um, you know, some of the, I guess, internal uh, debates going on, you know, around, uh, I don't want to say around gender, but, you know, the degree to which we haven't sort of addressed that stuff directly. Um, we wanted to do it more, you know, certainly a lot's happened, you know, in the discourse since uh, No Name and Boots Riley were on a stream together, but um, it was... You know, we I watched that, and there was some. I mean, there was some. You know, they both of them raised some interesting points, and you know, important points about, um, you know, patriarchy in you know in the movement, and uh, you know, to the degree to which yeah, um, you know, one of Audrey Lord's main thing 
is, you know, that men have to talk about this stuff amongst themselves. So that is what we're trying to do here. Admittedly, you know, this won't be as perfect. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But yeah, we're we're not (laughs) experts on this, but we're look. I mean, this is this is part of the work of the revolution, right? It's figuring things, figuring these things out. And yeah, because um, yeah, uh, you yeah, Peter, you watched the whole Boots Riley no name yeah. um, discussion. I I only saw part of it, but the a lot of the um, reactions I heard to it were because um, no name had brought up that uh, straight black men um, often uh, I think like over overlook I'd say. Um, and, and the concerns of uh, black trans women. I'm paraphrasing, but that's just from yeah. what I remember. Um, but yeah, like since you since you've watched the whole thing, like what what are, what are some things that stuck out stuck out to you? And even um, and also like yeah, like that that question that she was she 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 brought up. Uh well, first of all, I mean that was not most of the discussion, and most of it was pretty. Good. Yeah, I mean he goes into like a long history of like. Uh, the blues and like the recording industry and they talk about that a little bit but you know sort of the specific I guess concern you know which I do I mean you know think this stuff has been addressed to some degree in that like I don't know every like BLM stuff I've been to has you know made space for that but um, I think I think it is you know it's certainly a real problem and you know the degrees to which like a lot of I mean a lot of it is you know internalized anti-blackness that cuts both ways and degree to which like everyone you know as as I guess we alluded to in the talking about afro pessimism you know the degree to which it anti-blackness kind of renders black lives I guess null which is kind of the whole point of you know why the movement is called what it is um it then becomes it can be easier if you don't feel like you have direct stakes to that to ignore you know or discard a specific group of people that you know seem more marginalized but i think that you know some of the the question you know the way no name kind of brought it up you know or the concern she expressed was basically just like that it's hard for her to, you know, kind of fully get involved in the movement and, you know, I guess devote herself and, you know, do the risks that are necessary if she feels like, you know, um, black cis men aren't, won't, um, defend, uh, you know, her the way they defend each other or the idea that, um, you know, they always show up for us. Why don't we show up for them? Um, which are certainly concerns that, you know, are valid and not dismissing them, um, in any way. But, uh, I think, I mean, the response Boots Riley kind of had was that, like, you know, part of that is, like, you know, that's stuff that has to be worked through, which I think is true. I think the other thing is that, you know, the degree to which, like, anyone shows up for each other is, like, in death, in the sense of, like... Yeah. It's, like, I mean, people... 
it is because like people black people are being killed by the system and so that's true on all levels um and you know the way you know the way that we saw that is by building strength in the movement and certainly there is a alternative vision of the movement that is you know i guess uh cis male centric but i i don't you know it's kind of like the question of like white supremacist socialism it's like the movement in its you know actual strong revolutionary form has to defend you know everyone and yeah you know specifically with the question of um you know murder trans murders i feel like you know it is like building community defense organizations is the way in which that you know men can actually show up in these situations because yeah at least the way i see it is that like you know, certainly awareness is important, but what we're trying to do is prevent it from happening. Right. Um, yeah. And... <laughs> yeah. And also like the, the, I mean, there, there have always been trans and queer people within the black community. Yeah. Um, although like when it comes to the narrative of blackness, um, oftentimes like they get overlooked. And I think, yeah. And that's that's where I'm at. Like I, I I'm really sympathetic. Is that like my view of blackness in my narrative? Like when I talk about blackness, I I see blackness as intrinsically inclusive. So that includes black men, black women, black LGBTQ folks, um, poor black people, educated black people, uneducated black people, black people in prison black people in the hood black yeah. people who are you know thugs and gang members black folks who live in the suburbs um and not just in the united states but like as a pan-africanist when i say black people i mean all people of black african descent both on the african continent and throughout the diaspora and the african diaspora is, is, is global like there are black people in turkey there are black people in Iran. There are black people in India. Um, and there's black people all throughout the, the Western Hemisphere because that's, you know, Africa was like, has been so very, very much exploited in terms of slave labor. Hence why there's such a large African diaspora. But, you know, I, I yeah, so my, my view of blackness and black identity and what it is, it it's it includes black queer people now i think the question is like okay like you know like i think there are a lot of black queer people who would who would argue like you know that they themselves don't feel fully included because of there are like you know internal um issues within the black community when it comes to patriarchy homophobia transphobia you know not that yeah. not that they are you know endemic or specific exactly to... yeah it's but, not yeah yeah but, so but the problem of course is that you know you know it's for white people it's a different struggle because mm -hmm. there isn't also the larger struggle of liberation um right. and actually i mean audrey lord does uh address a lot of this and she's very clear that like you know the kind of male chauvinism that 
admittedly was a problem back in the 60s, you know, and is still a problem today is a distraction. And it is, you know, people, I guess, losing sight of the of the long of the prize of the long game. And, you know, I guess sort of replacing um, the actual sort of experience of, you know, revolutionary struggle with uh, you know, sort of feeling strong, you know, reclaiming one's masculinity in a system that is, you know, intentionally denied it. And it's easy to get caught up just in that. Um, and that is, you know, that, I mean, and very much like this, you know, the prison system, you know, slavery, capitalism, all that stuff. I mean, there is very much a, uh, there's an extra level of like emasculation and i think part of the problem is that you know in the larger western discourse it's like any concerns about emasculation are kind of seen as inherently ridiculous at least in the like you know kind of liberal left discourse but it is i mean it's a legitimate problem and concern it's just not the only concern and that's what i think men need to you know not lose sight of is that you know, you can't, it's, it isn't just a thing that like we can focus on this and then we'll focus on that. I mean, you have to, everyone has to reclaim all parts of their humanity. Right. At the same time, um, from the system. Yeah. And also like, that's why I mentioned about like my view of black identity as, as something that's inclusive um whether or not like that obviously what i'm saying is not the dominant narrative of blackness because uh but but i do think like you know given understanding that as a key premise would mean that like okay any harm done to black women uh uh black queer people black trans people um i also thought before i forget black people with disabilities because also like if you look at the numbers of, of police shootings yeah huge number are black people with disabilities yeah oh um, i think i think elijah mcclain i mean there's always there's always a new one to find out but this was a 23 year old autistic man in denver i believe mm-hmm. died in police custody um fuck. last year and you know this this is a case that is now just getting you know new attention but it is exactly that kind of a situation and Mm. you know it isn't to say that like men have to be weak or anything like that or i think that's the thing that a lot of men get hung up on is the idea that like you are like uh you know have to deprioritize your masculinity in order to like listen to other people's struggles when i think that you know the the sense of masculine strength that is, you know, a legitimate and necessary thing for people who, you know, I mean, the the only time I guess I really kind of get into biopolitics, not that it's entirely bad, but, you know, the, I think there is something to be said for like, like, if you're trying to understand, you know, the the role that that can have, it's like, you know, men like a lot of men you know black men and you know men in general you know especially any man 
man who's been on the receiving end of a colonial structure. I mean, there is like that same sense of alienation from one's body and Mm. also, you know, perhaps a fear of it. And I think that like it is okay to say, I think it's okay to understand like the project of reclaiming one's sense of masculinity or manhood in like the body um, as opposed to sort of this idea, you know, which is, I mean, patriarchy is, I think, important to understand. Like, it's kind of, it's like white whiteness in the sense that, like, there's a, like, a ruling class kind of sells an idea of manhood that serves their purposes. Right. And, you know, it's a means of class collaboration. So that's like, oh, well, we're all guys here, right? And it's like, no, we're not. I mean, <laughs> we have very specific interests. You're exploiting <laughs> right. me. Yeah. Like, no, we're not all guys here. We're not all men. I mean, we're not all the same. And, you know, that's, I think that's the thing that people have to be on guard of. Because, I mean, I always understand, like, the reasons, you know, I want to, like, become stronger, I mean, physically and also mentally and or just, you know, the degrees to which I, you know, feel like more secure in that part of my identity, because it is definitely something that I struggled with for a long time. It is like so that I can protect and help people more vulnerable than me and you yeah. know, more marginalized. And I think that's that's, I think, the thing that guys and dudes um need to not lose sight of is like that's yeah. you know that's the point that's mm-hmm. i mean that's like the only I'm, i don't say the only but that's it's, the main yeah. like positive vision of masculinity is the ability to help and protect and defend people more vulnerable than you that's the point of this that's the point of developing that strength in the first yeah. place and and also like i mean the reason why i um like i think you know as 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 black men like we we have to see the harm done to black women uh black queer folks black trans folks as our issue like you know yeah. what i mean like it's it's part of our struggle like even even if we're not being obviously like we're like black women have specific struggles and issues that like you know black men aren't going to fully understand right that's yeah. that's not bad it's not good it's 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 just i'm just stating an objective reality right yeah but and it it doesn't like lessen anyone's exploitation or oppression to understand the different forms that it takes absolutely yeah and also like there's very specific things that black men go through that like specifically straight black men that we go through that like other people who are not straight black men do not go through it's like we all have our our own very very specific experiences living under like white supremacist patriarchy and pure and imperialism and, and capitalism right and i think like you know especially when it came to the um the, the you know the really just just thinking about toyin salau's death is just kind of guessing me it's just, it's just so fucking um i mean yeah. just you know thinking about toyin's death and and you know because yeah she was killed by a black man it's like look like that's just wrong like like yeah like there's nothing like there's nothing unmasculine as a black man saying like look like the the fact that like this this young woman like this brave freedom fighter was was killed by sadly a member of her own, uh, her own community like you can still 
just point that out and be like, look, yeah. that's fucked that's fucked up and want to actually do something about like making sure something like that doesn't happen again. And, and what I was thinking about like Toyin's death, it made me think of like, you know, I, I going forward, um, it'd be nice to see in addition to community defense programs, but also like the kind of money that is collected in Black Lives Matter um because she was houseless as well like and that was the reason why she was in the position that she was where she looked to that man for help like you know are are we gonna have like um you know enough money to take care of people within the movement who are houseless and who are coming from abusive families and apparently her family is very abusive so that's a real problem and and it's you know there is there is very very real intra-communal violence within the black community with 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 black men um inflicting violence on black women which is real and it's just really fucked up and also violence uh, uh black men killing each other and i think like those are those are realities but i think those are realities that are the result of the system that we live under like it's not yeah. something that's like black people are genetically programmed to be um misogynist and violent and it's like no yeah. like we're living in a very very fucked up reality and it's so fucked up that like we wind up killing each other and so like when i yeah. w- when i see like violence inflicted upon black women it's like look i want i want a strong black community and like look like if black women are being hurt then yeah i i want to you know do yeah. what i can to stand in solidarity same, same with um black people who are gay who are trans like black liberation includes all of us like i want all of us to feel safe and protected just black men black women black like all of us all of us we we all deserve something that's better than the fucking shit that we're in right now yeah and i i remember because you know all this stuff was people were talking about all this stuff five years ago you know yeah because it's not like anything's changed significantly and you know people are like well you know forget the revolution we just have to make sure everyone's safe and it's like but that is the revolution uh-huh. yeah right is, right you know it, and it is tr- yeah i mean there are predators there are predators in every community um and i mean the point is that like when you have you know when you have like that sense of nationhood um which i mean to be clear audrey lord also talks about like it as like a nation you know and you know a struggle for national liberation i mean she's she's pretty explicit about it in that way um Mm -hmm. and how i mean what's kind of funny is that like yeah when she the mantle the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house like she's specifically talking about like sexism you know Mm. and and male chauvinism and how Mm. that is like um you know a tool of distraction and co-optation and you know Mm. So clinging to that is, you know, will never will not get black people any closer to liberation. I mean, yeah. And so I don't I don't know what the, I don't remember what the like Silicon Valley, you know, VC tweet de- pitch deck was using it in the context of I mean, that quote gets thrown around everywhere. But that's, you know, basically what she was referring to. Um, there is something you said earlier that um, I, I, I want to uh, t- uh, touch on before I forget about like you know the whole like uh, hey we're all guys right like I've I've never yeah. felt in my experience like a sense of male camaraderie with especially white men 
Like, I've never really felt that. Like, hey, we're all guys, right? It's like, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Because the Mm -hmm. experience of being a black man in America is is fundamentally different. And a lot of times, like, look, like, when it comes Mm -hmm. to, like, there's, okay, there is no such thing as, like, uh, real, genuine, like, male solidarity, especially between black men and white men. Because, like a lot of white men, if you look at the the cops shooting black men into black in the back, it's it's white men, right? So like, where's the male yeah. solidarity right there, right? Like, there's yeah. no there's no male solidarity no, in that. Inter- it's 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 so I like because I knew like even growing up, like I had a few white friends and like you know we we're friends, but I knew like even as as I was growing older that like my my experience is completely different because you know I I you know as you as you grow older. You know, you get the, the, you know, the talk from your parents about, like, you know, how to handle police interactions and all that. And I learned that, like, look, just being a black man in America, like, there's, I'm automatically going to be assumed to be a threat. And that's not something, that is not something that white men have to go through. And, like, even, like, just playing music at bars, I've seen, I've seen white dudes do to just dumb as fuck shit i saw like I, I remember one time um there there's a group of white white dudes who um who they got in a, a bar fight they were drunk and they got in a bar fight and there one of the dudes was like trying to um hit on um hit on a woman and it was just like he he was just being like really kind of creepy about it but like anyway like you know when people get drunk they do dumb shit so like D- d- these white dudes just get in a fight and the security guard is breaking it up but what I thought was interesting is that like no one bothered to call the police in that instance mm-hmm. you know what I mean like yeah. if, it was, if it was like that same kind of fight but with black men involved I'm pretty sure the chances of people someone yeah, calling the police in front of white people. right exactly yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's important to understand that, like, the standards of masculinity that, like, the pa- the white patriarchy holds up are, like, designed for black men to f- automatically fail at. Exactly. Um, and also, I mean, the question of black patriarchy, at least in the United States, is, I mean, it, it's not, it's not really, I don't say it's not entirely a thing, but it is, you know, if we understand it as a structure, it isn't really outside of, you know maybe the church or you know perhaps like some of the like the business community but it is not like the reason patriarchy exists and the reason like they settle you know feminists settled on that term as opposed to you know just sexism is to like uh situate it in the context of a class society and to understand that it is about you know material benefits and you know you know, property and wealth being transferred along, you know, the lines of patrimony, which is to say, like, from one, you know, from one father to, you know, from father to son. Um, And I mean, there's whole, you know, if you want to get all the way into it, I mean, this, I mean, there's, that's why, like, you know, like, like the emergence of class society and private property is kind of why, patriarchy and sexism exists because like in you know previous societies that are like more hunter-gatherer more nomadic or whatever i mean it you know that there is more gender e- equality um and 
you know, of course, once you get it, and of course that translates to capitalism too, but you know, once you get into socialism, then it is like, well, of course we can make, you know, raise the status of women and make them equal and give them all, not just, you know, rights, but also like structure a society that isn't designed around like the exploitation of male labor, because that's, that's the other thing about it is like, um, you know, you have to keep working. Like, what are the benefits that working class men get from patriarchy? I mean, specific, you know, that's not just black men, but, you know, as black men are obviously more in the working class, it, you know, redounds on it doubly. And it is like, I, you know, you get the promise of what a more compliant wife that like you get to possibly beat someone up and get away with it. I, like it's not like they're not they're not any tangible benefits, but I mean, the benefits the ruling class gets from patriarchy is wealth and, you know, the ability to hold on to it. And that's the and property. And that's that's why that system exists. And, you know, I think that I mean, there's a tendency and this you know, can be found in like kind of the turfer turf ear areas of feminism to make it about, you know, just men in general or about penises. And like, I mean, it's not, you know, we have to remember that it like it's a structure and that's and it's a structure that keeps, you know, the entire working class and like all, you know, colonized peoples in place. Um, men and women and that's the thing that we have so you have to understand fighting against that structure is part of your liberation as a man yeah yeah and and like um as someone who plays african drumming i like looking into pre-colonial african and and other societies and um in a lot of pre-colonial African societies, like the the gender roles were very different. Like you had some ethnic groups and tribes that were patriarchal. You had some that were matriarchal, and some that were like kind of a mix. And even in um, and the colonialists uh, would see the matriarchal ones as inferior. Right. Yeah. And 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 also um, even in a lot of indigenous communities, like they recognize you know multiple genders. I mean, there's the um mahu people in hawaii who are a combination of 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 uh man and woman and uh they're they're respected like they're respected in the sense like oh you have like both the male and female energy like there's a sign of respect which is very very much the complete opposite of how we treat trans people here in the united states and other western countries but like there are multiple examples of uh uh pre-colonial or 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 indigenous communities throughout the world where you do have gender roles that are far less hierarchical and um societies in which uh uh, other genders under gender identities are are respected um and and i'm i bring that up because um that's why you know i i don't think that patriarchy is something that's intrinsic amongst black people i think like that got imposed on us via the slave trade and colonization particularly through christianity and yeah yeah like i i really and and i think like i like to look at examples of gender roles and gender identities 
that existed before slavery and colonization as basically like models to take inspiration from like okay like how can we apply what they what they did and apply it to today and i think that's also part of of uh of the liberation struggle as well because i think like you know um challenging patriarchy and homophobia and transphobia like it has to be beyond just sort of performative rhetoric like i think it's important to have like real concrete examples to draw inspiration from and apply those lessons going today i i think to me like that that's that to me i think is is a better formula for for true liberation than just like i mean yeah you can read all the books you want but like you need some real examples to see like okay this is how like yeah uh, you can have a society in which there is no like you don't have like those very violent gender hierarchical forms of oppression yeah you don't have you don't have like uh you know and it's hard for us to imagine that because if if you're growing up in the united states like that that's something we're yeah. all socialized into so we have to imagine a society where patriarchy and transphobia and homophobia don't exist and and work toward um uh, building it because yeah it is it's part of all all of our liberation including men like yeah like i i think men should should take that as a form of um it's something that i think we we should should yeah we have a stake in Be- because i mean you know if you think about the way the colonizer thinks about it, it's like oh well you know black men are hypersexual so we'll just use that against them i mean it's i mean th- look th- those guys are i mean it's always funny the way that like you know the oppressor like underestimates your intelligence (laughs) but (laughs) it's true and it's also and the other thing is that um gender roles exist for the purposes of social reproduction and to reproduce an exploited working class and you know specifically among black people in you know the diaspora in the western hemisphere it is you know about reproducing you know the sense of slaveness um Mm -hmm. internally I mean, then those are gender roles that exist to do that. So that, you know, and those are imposed, I mean, often through religion, though. I mean, you know, we're not going to, this isn't like a wholesale excoriation of the black church. But I mean, it is, I mean, religion is, you know, the primary method of transmission of these, you know, kind of reactionary understandings of gender. Um, but, you know, through other kind of just like social reactionary kind of stuff and, you know, this idea, I mean, it's, I mean, like when people talk about like black hypermasculinity, the problem with stuff like that is that like in a patriarchal system, masculinity isn't about strength. It's about power and control. I mean, in a bourgeois system, it's about power and control. And, you know, so it doesn't matter how strong you are, or even how hard physically or how hard you are um you know you're still less of a man because you don't have power in the system and that's right. the and so i mean i think and i think a lot of times men get turned off by feminism when they try to be like this is for men too and it's like okay well you get to cry and it's like i mean <laughs> crying is crying is important i mean i've you know there was a very long time where i like i felt very ashamed because i did it i mean I did it like pretty late into adolescence, you know, like into high school and, you know, something that like I was ashamed of. And, you know, just this past year, I felt like 
just all the stuff that's going on has made me sort of more in touch with my emotions and that, you know, it feels good, but it is also like there, you know, there's so much dehumanization in the system that it's like, you do have to learn how to compartmentalize it in order to survive. And I mean, the struggle is of course, not letting that, you know, when you're trying to be in a loving relationship with people, then not letting the dehumanization the system puts on you, you know, transfer over. But, you know, it's very much like, that's not, I mean, that's what people have to understand about, you know, manhood in this system is that like, it isn't, you know, if you think that like, by behaving a certain way, like that's that you're, you know, or acting a certain way, or, you know, especially like hating women, you know, then you're reclaiming your manhood. I mean, that's, you got, they, then the system has you exactly where they want you. And, you know, don't be an idiot. Yeah. 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 I think like, you know, the, 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 the sort of construction of black masculinity is sort of like, um, kind of like, I'd say for lack of a better term, kind of like a Frankenstein created by white supremacy. And like, I think it's important for black men to be on guard that like to, to not, uh fall into and embrace that kind of construct of of masculinity and yeah um you know and 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 embrace a form of black masculinity that um basically I, i'd say is like you know independent and also i'd say like you know in opposition to to patriarchy like i think like that 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 should be yeah. our because, task. because your sense of identity comes from within you and it's yeah. as you grow and develop that you become more secure in it it's not a validation that comes from someone else i mean and the what i've discovered is that the more i secure be, i become in it then the more i'm willing to like open and understand you know and listen to women and really understand like what it is that they're going through because there have been times where like you know just like in my life or just like that part of the day where I'm like tired and you know depressed and just like not happy with the state of my life and then if I go on if I'm on Twitter or something and I see people talking about men are trash I mean I don't want to I don't want to deal with it you know and it's also important and it's like I do you know I would have a reaction to it and then I would be like oh you know then I would be mad at myself for having the reaction when it's like you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's bad, but, and I'm not saying that, you know, that never happens, you know, because it does. And a lot of when you, you know, when you feel that you are like wholly victimized by the system and then you hear someone who you imagine is supposed to be on your side talking about men are trash. I mean, it can be, it can, I understand why dudes get angry at that, but I, you know, I guess what I would say to the, to that phrase is like, I mean, you know can you blame them really i mean you know yeah it's it's a perfectly rational response to their condition i mean right exactly yeah yeah that's know. something that yeah because that's something like at least for myself i don't take that phrase personally um yeah. i think like if you know men who do take the phrase men are trash super super personally kind of feel like you know they're telling on themselves a little bit yeah 
And I think you're absolutely right, Peter. It's like, I don't take it personally because I just try to see it as like, okay, that's a rational response to living under the, the, the boots of, patri- of patriarchy. Like, that's rational. Yeah. So it's like, I try to understand it yeah, in that I sense mean, and like, not get worked up. It'd be weirder if women didn't hate men. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Because, it, I mean, the other thing that's just very important to understand about it is that, like, as we talk about, like, the struggle, the struggle for ovaration is like something you have has that has to be fought. And, you mm-hmm. know, women have the same are dealing with a separate order of oppressive conditions that, you know, they have to struggle against. And, you know, I the in the question of like showing up or stuff, I mean, it's important to understand that, like, we're not going to lead that like they have to lead that. And, you know, what we have to do is basically listen and, you know, get out of the way and not make it worse. Yeah. Um, and, you know, yeah, you know, there's a specific thing asked of you, then do it, which is, you know, how allyship or comradeship works. Um, so, it, yeah, it's it's up, but it is very much like, I mean, yeah, why, like, <laughs> why wouldn't, why would you be upset? That's up, but, you know, also, yeah, I mean, a lot of men have, you know, trash is not like a binary thing where you either are or are not nobody's 100 well some men are 100 percent trash you know yeah um mostly you know they're mostly in the bourgeoisie but you know it's like yeah people have trash behaviors or trash days or trash moods Mm -hmm. you know and the problem is that you know you can't always keep those to to yourself sometimes they get you know (laughs) visited upon you know women that are around you and so, you know, you have to be honest with yourself about that, you know, and own, and own up to it if if that affects someone, um, because, it, you know, mean men have to be trashed under capitalism is the other thing. It's like, right, the specific demands of placed on men to, you know, work as hard, hard as you can and prioritize making money over everything else. I mean, that degrades your you know social skills i mean it's literally like if you think about it like a lot of this stuff is just like you know men have understand women as like strange creatures because they've just never been around them in like a mundane sense beyond like their you know mother and then possibly sisters and then they're like girlfriends and wives we're talking about straight men right and it's like you don't you know you don't have any other experience of just like women just living their lives, then it is, you know, very much, you know, there's a, there's a lot of disconnect, but at the same time, you know, the expectations where it's like you are, you work, you know, in predominantly male environments and you devote all your attention to that. I mean, when you're young, when you are figuring out your identity, um, you have to do this and then, you know, you have to you have to basically deprioritize like any form of social development or development of social intelligence over you know any kind of an- analytical intelligence which you know you're only supposed to be developing so that you can you know earn more money or you know just literally working and so it i mean it makes sense to me why you know men don't have time to read feminist theory um but you should like it's you know people are like i don't understand women it's like well that's 
I mean, they they've been writing about it. They've been writing <laughs> about it for a while. So maybe you should, I mean, start paying attention because it is like, oh, actually, they explain a lot of it. Um, and it's good stuff. I mean, it you know, like when the, the stuff that, you know, when I do read it, then I realize like, oh, yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And like, you know, some of the so much of this stuff about women being irrational it's 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 not true it's like it's all perfectly rational responses to their situation in a system that is you know kind of determined to you know separate them from like their own bodies speaking of trash uh i want to pivot to um Mm -hmm. a bill that was passed by the House of Represent the House of Representatives, that's still connected to the topic we're talking about, which is basically uh, the movement to d- just basically abolish the police. Or now it seems like everyone's focusing on defunding the police. So, um, yeah, we've been talking about like you know the dealing with um, how much patriarchy can harm the movement. But, you know, the movement is focused on, you know, there's an there's an end goal, right? There's, a, there's an end goal, which is, you know, basically, well, depending on who you talk to, it could either be abolish the police, uh, defund the police, reimagine the police. I've heard uh, that. I, I reimagine <laughs> them as non-existent. <laughs> I'm pretty, I wouldn't be surprised if someone, if someone said, that, uh, let's, not... I wouldn't be surprised if someone said, let's decolonize the police. <laughs> like, uh given how much that yeah, term has been watered down that sounds like that sounds like some silicon valley stuff yeah yeah i i i would not be surprised if someone said that anyway so um this just came out today so i want to i want to touch upon this um this is i'm reading from uh nbc news so the headline is house passes democrat-led bill for sweeping police reform in wake of george floyd's death the subline is like the bill, which was voted largely along along party lines, aims to curb, poli- curb police brutality and bring accountability to our police departments, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said on Thursday. Um, so today is Thursday. So this, this was basically just passed today. Um, so the article reads, uh, yeah, House passed the reform bill. Um, and then uh, Nancy Pelosi said her thing. So the vote came down to, okay, so it was voted... It was approved by a um, 236 votes in favor versus 181 votes opposing it. Um, so, yeah, so Nancy Pelosi said exactly one month ago, George Floyd spoke his final words, I can't breathe, and changed the course of history. So she said this on the steps oh, outside wow. the Capitol. Was she wearing the Kente cloth this time? Uh, according to the picture, no. Um, so she, she, she ain't really about it. <laughs> yeah. And so you have to wear the Kente cloth all the time now. Yeah. Yeah. Chuck too. Yep. If you're really, if you're really about the movement. Uh, so uh, there's a picture of her and she's flanked by other house Democrats, including members of the congressional black caucus chaired by representative Karen Bass of California. Um, so, uh, so Nancy Pelosi says, 
The George Floyd Justice and Policing Act will fundamentally transform the culture of policing to address systemic racism, curb police brutality, and bring accountability to our police departments. It will save lives. Oh, very lofty statement. Wow. And and I love how, like, man, the, the term systemic racism is, like, it's now in the mainstream. Everyone's yeah, saying it. Yeah, I mean, I mean it, something that's important to understand is all the discourse and, you know, conversations that we, ha- that we have that we have. I mean, it's all just like focus groups for Democrats to learn what new words to say. I mean, yeah. I don't say all, but like that's what a lot of it is. And you know, I mean, I mean, my question about this bill is how much money do the police get out of it? I'd like to know that too. So I'm just reading from this NBC article. This this is just what I have in front of me. Uh, I'm sure as as we learn more details, we'll we'll, we'll talk about it more. <laughs> um. So Ilhan Omar, um, she gave her statement. She said, this is the first step in bringing real change to policing in this country. My community has been crying out for justice and real reform for decades. Um, Yeah, because she represents Minnesota's 5th Congressional District. Um, She says, uh, this legislation is an important step in the right direction, but we can't stop here. We must heed the calls of people who are impacted by police brutality daily and restructure bo- broken police departments across our country. Okay, that's different than abolish the police or even – that doesn't even sound like defunding the police. Restructure broken police departments across our country. Okay. Yeah. Um, Bro- it's, important to, it's important to pay attention to language like that because Democrats are very good at capturing – co-opting the militant the 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 radical language of of black militant activists and and sort of like saying we're listening we're going to restructure and reimagine the police okay out of what the fuck is that so yeah i mean restructure in a way that like like they don't mind the murder they just like you guys got to be better about lying about it it's like cops like cops have gotten sloppy is the problem it's like right how many, I mean, they used to be able, I mean, they've always been killing with impunity. Um, that's, I mean, that's part of it being an occupational terror force. But they've just, they, yeah, they've just gotten sloppy about it. It used to just be, you know, they killed and they didn't, you know, all, all the chokeholds and all this extra stuff. You could just, you know, shoot them in the leg. Yeah. As Joe Biden would say, as he would yeah. suggest. Um, so... So here's here's the, the article explains the details of the bill. Democrats introduced the legisla- the legislation this month amid the national outcry over Floyd's death. The legislation would ban all neck restraints, including chokeholds and the kind used on Floyd by a then <laughs> Minneapolis police officer, as well as no knock warrants in drug cases, as was used in the fatal shooting of Breonna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky, in March. By the way, Breonna Taylor's killers, uh, still like I mean, one one of the cops is fired, but like none of them have been arrested. So anyway, wow. yeah, just I just want to you know, Breonna Taylor's killers are still free. Um, oh by the way, before I forget, there was a video of one of George Floyd's cop killers. He was like at some supermarket without a mask. Ooh, he wasn't wearing a mask. Ooh, he's ooh, not ooh. gonna let the government control him. <laughs> I'm he's not gonna, gonna. Yeah, he's not gonna be cowed by fear. You're right. 
So someone confronted him, uh, one of the cops, and he was just, she confronted him. She was like, why the fuck are you here? Like, why are you walking around free? He's like, I understand how you feel. Uh, I'm like, man, I was, oh God, so fucking pissed when I saw that shit. Anyway, this article continues. The the legislation would also require police departments to send data on the use of force to the federal government and and create a grant program that would allow there it is there it is somehow we somehow we always got to give them more money as we as we hold them accountable that yeah a create a grant program that would allow state attorneys general to create an independent process to investigate misconduct or excessive use of force the bill would also make it easier for people to recover damages when police departments violate their civil rights and for the first time make lynching a federal hate crime all right, Peter. What do you think? What do you um, think well, that's just not passing the Senate. So, <laughs> so the Senate actually, yeah, the Senate. Um, apparently, the day before, uh, the Republicans pr- proposed a police reform proposal. Um, but the Democrats, I guess, um, motioned. Uh, I, I, I get it was blocked in the Senate, and I guess like Senate Democrats like kind of blocked it. So. House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler, Democrat of New York, he criticized the Senate bill saying it does nothing real. Um, he said, this is not the time for half measures. It's not the time for further This is study. time for two-thirds measures, which the Democrats will <laughs> proudly fight for. And if you right. don't vote for them, it's because you don't care about police violence for the, and these two-thirds measures that they're offering that they know will never get enacted. But at least they're not half measures. And, and and you know what? You know what Joe Biden would say? If you don't support the Democrats bill, then you ain't black. Yeah. If you don't if you don't if you don't support the Democrats two thirds measures, then you ain't black. Um just reading through this, this I mean th- a lot of stuff seems like I mean just conventional shit we've we've seen before. Um banning on strokeholds okay. I mean I mean, that isn't. I mean, because the thing is, it's, like, it's whack. It's whack a mole shit. Right. It is. That's exactly what it is. It's whack a mole shit. Because the thing is, is um, this is yeah, a very very piecemeal reform that does nothing fundamental to change, to to change anything. There's no fundamental change in this bill. Yeah, it's all piecemeal reform that, like, you know, the Democrats can say, "Hey, we did something. We did something," but there's no guarantee that any of these measures in this bill will curb police violence because like okay you can ban chokeholds but they'll probably come up with an, another form of of restraint that could kill someone yeah i yeah or it's like no knock raids i mean those are you know legitimately terroristic but it's like okay well they knock once or right. they not they knock once so lightly nobody hears it and then they do yep. the exact same thing like like Adding more, like, it's a question of power, and you have to take it away from the police. You don't give them more money and then just empower, like, the federal cops to oversee them so that they can be better. Because so, they're not copping hard enough or not copping correctly. No, they need to be, there need to be less cops, and police departments have to have less power and fewer weapons. And that's, like, the, and it's just, like, it's, like, exactly. I mean, these fucking Democrats, I mean, they just... It's just like we said, we had one ask, like 
take money away from cops and they're like what if we gave them more money yeah hear me out i mean this is this is real smart serious adult politics and you you know pathetic little crybaby lefty slash you know negroes you just don't understand you just don't understand you know we we have to do this even though none of this is going to like either pass or even really be like implemented correctly by their own definitions and even like making lynching a federal hate crime so uh, we alluded to this in in a previous episode but like there have already been like cases of half a dozen black people who were found suspiciously hanged and there have been several cases of you know just nooses uh there were a couple of nooses in lake Merritt in oakland california um in vallejo there was basically at some park someone spray painted like white power in a swastika on a um i think it was like a bathroom sort of a building or, or outhouse or something like that like a one of those those buildings where like you go to use a bathroom at, at a park so and even in the cases where like you know these black people were found just suspiciously hanging but by the way like black like black people don't like we don't we don't commit suicide in that fashion but the police ruled it a suicide yeah. so what what is a okay you've already legislated like hey we're wow. lynching is a hate crime okay but like what is that gonna is that gonna make uh uh law enforcement actually investigate those yeah, cases yes seriously Adam. Adam, we're getting noted enemies of white supremacy, the FBI involved. Is oh right, yeah. So so you yeah. know it's gonna work because oh yeah, we, the FBI is because totally the it. FBI. We know how effective they were at taking down the Klan. <laughs> oh yeah, very very effective, very effective at taking. They they the they've been in the Klan for so long because they're just deep cover, right? Right. It's like I mean, it's literally like they're like, no man, we we got like we got to get all the way to the top of the Klan. You know, we got to we got to totally get into it and and, and we're going to take it down eventually. Don't worry. Don't worry. And and like, OK, make it easier for people to recover damages when police departments violate the civil rights. OK, but like what if what if the person's dead? Like what, what yeah. damages can they recover? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the idea like like I think people want to not be killed and get their asses beat by the police. It's not like they it's not like they want to get their asses beat by the police and so then they can sue them and get a payday out of it. I mean, right. it's, they just, they don't want it to do it. They, they yeah, don't want be- that to happen in the first place. Because, like, in a lot of cities across the country, police departments take up anywhere from, like, 40 to 60% of, like, uh, you know, cities, like, general funds. So, like, okay, if they pay damages to some civil rights violation, that's not going to make a dent in their budget. Like, it's just going to be like, okay, we'll just, wow. we'll just pay you, like, it's like nickels on a, it's like a, you know, a dime out of, like, you know, their their massive budget. Like, they're not going to care. Well, so I, I, well, some police departments, I think OPD was like, yeah, they actually were paying out so much that it was a problem, but the degree to which, like, they're not, it doesn't mean they're going to stop being terrorists. It just means that right. they'll stop, um, you know, giving people money in those cases they'll just well lower the amount or just real, start ruling against them more it's just more bureaucratic red tape that's what it is yeah. it's, it's nothing to fundamentally change the system it's just more red tape and even like okay the legislation requiring police departments to send data on the use of force to the federal government that's like bare minimum that's something that should have been yeah. done in 2014 after ferguson and yeah it still hasn't gotten and it's like okay you're counting the number of deaths like to the federal government okay what's that gonna change like hey look we're counting 
the number of people who are dying. Yeah, this and is progress. So, so then they can auto police departments to be like, you haven't killed nearly enough people. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you like, haven't, yeah, you haven't cre- met. You haven't met your death quota yet. You haven't met your yeah, kill list. Create a database of killer cops so people like Arpaio and you know other psycho sheriffs and police chiefs know exactly who to hire. Like, come on, guys. Like, like it's just it's just important to understand. None of this was asked for. No. Nobody in the movement, no organizations that were, like, on the ground in any community asked for any of this shit. And, like, the Democrats know that. They just, they don't care. I mean, obviously they don't care. Yeah. And this is just basically a way to co-opt and pacify the militancy of the movement. I think that's really what it is. And it's also, like, I think... You know, in context of this election, it's a way to for the Democratic Party to shore up votes for for Biden, because Biden isn't like he's not saying shit. Um, but like you know, the Democrats are going to use this energy to for the election, and I, and I also think like, I mean, we didn't we didn't talk about Juneteenth that much. We didn't really talk about Juneteenth at all. But like, I mean, yeah, there's Juneteenth. Um, obviously, you know, it's important holiday. But what I found weird is just like how many you know how much of like corporate america and nonprofits were like yeah. we're all about juneteenth and blah 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 it's like wait like what like what is this gonna do to help black people like yeah I, you know I'm, it's I'm, just I'm a... waiting for the red black and green budweiser flags oh no. god we yeah deserve, another... we deserve our holiday for binge drinking like the irish like you know saint patrick's day and cinco de mayo right yeah it's another way to commercial commercialize black suffering and black militancy and i think that especially at this stage of where the movement is at i think that's what's happening is that various factions of the liberal elite establishment are trying to co-opt and pacify this movement as much as possible to win the election and then you know if they win the 2020 election they they're just going to go back to usual yeah, I mean, I mean that's dumb that's, shit. that's basically their main role. Yeah. Is is specifically tamping down militancy among black people. Yeah, you know the problem is that like the cops aren't gonna stop killing. So, yeah, you know, it's it's like, you know, in terms of like the movement becoming de-radicalized, I mean, the material conditions aren't gonna change. So, I mean, you know, they'll just literally have to. After after they do that, they'll just have to you know go into more aggressive co-intelpro tactics. I assume, you know, and I'm sure Biden's going to do that. You know, he's going to do that while wearing the kente cloth. He's going to like order yep. the imprisonment of organizers while he's like at the next at the White House Juneteenth celebration. I mean, these people are all psychopaths, and they're all going to say Wakanda forever when they do it. That's that's just yeah. Yeah, they're gonna, you're gonna. Biden's gonna screen Black Panther in the Rose Garden, and then he's gonna order a drone strike on a Black identity extremist, and it'll be okay because he'll have been like Somali or something, and he wasn't yeah. an American citizen yet. And a little bit of good news. So, um, a couple schools in the San Francisco Bay Area are eliminating eliminating their school police and i think throughout the country as well I, I've yeah been that that is that's been a major demand among yeah amongst organizers and um in the movement is getting cops out of schools and it's like 
Yeah, no shit. Right. I, mean, I think, yeah, there was a cop in, in my high school, and it was just like, why are you here? Like, like I mean, we know why they're here, so that, like, black children get used to being in prison. Um, but it's just like, why are you, why are they even pretending you're here? It's like, 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 we're all kids by definition, we're not supposed to be, but, you know. I mean, so much of it, I think so, and tying it back to what we were talking about earlier, I mean, so much of it is not just internalized, I mean, centuries of colonialism and that internalized black oppression. It's also like four decades of COINTELPRO and four decades of, you know, this social, I guess I call it social scientific racism of like the culture of pathology and all that stuff that had to step in because you couldn't do old school scientific racism. That was, you know... That was in the 80s and 90s when they had to explain, you know, like what they were doing, why it was okay, what they were doing is, you know, all that stuff. And it's all just reactions to, you know, I mean, it's just it's just terrorism and intentional destruction, you know, on behalf of like the state and the system. And I mean, it worked for a long time that like black people really. I mean, it was, I mean, it's so disorienting, like, you know, the amount of guns and drugs that just showed up, you know, in these, in these neighborhoods and, you know, mm -hmm. even, I mean, hell, even some of the music, honestly, I mean, people, rappers were, I mean, rappers talking about that back in the 2000s and it kind of, people forgot about it, but I mean, same, same issue. And it's like, you know, I mean, people, like it was successful in that they really got black people thinking you know that like maybe we were just super predators and that was the problem and i think you know part of that is you know sort of this you know rigid and destructive understanding of masculinity it's all tied into the same thing and you know part of i think and i you know i do see it as like part of our mission is to specifically you know deprogram that stuff from the 80s and 90s you know yeah and because it, you know, and just being able to trust ourselves again, because it's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's crazy what they did to us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, like the, the, um, that's another part of the, ta the part of the movement is, um, strengthening those internal communal bonds within the black community. Because I think like one thing that, COINTELPRO did which was ties to your point is it really it really um just tore it apart the internal communal bonds that existed uh within black america and i think that's something we uh going forward uh we're gonna have to strengthen um if, if yeah. we're going to yeah. be yeah successful because it's not like COINTELPRO is not going to exist you gotta somehow make it COINTELPRO proof mm-hmm you know. uh, yeah and on that note um i think that's a good i think that's a good note for us to end yeah. this episode it's already an hour and six so um any any other final words peter before we sign out um i don't think so stay <laughs> dangerous yeah um anyway yeah this is a free episode subscribe to us www.patreon.com slash real hours this is real Car hours um keep the faith and stay dangerous peace